This is the Music Vibes Podcast, sponsored by Neat 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 Records and Music, located at 1836 South Calhoun Street in downtown Fort Wayne. Neat 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 stocks LPs and CDs across all genres and is an authorized dealer of Ortofone, Audio Technica, Emotiva, Wharfdale, Project, and more. Please visit neatneatneatrecords.com for more information. Thanks, everyone, for joining. So back with another edition here on the Music Vibes Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. Go ahead and make us one of your favorites and keep up because we got some big things coming up on this podcast. And be sure to keep up as well on social media. Just be sure to search DC Hendrix. I'm everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and search Music Vibes Podcast as well. And you'll be able to access that on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thanks so much for joining. So this week I decided to do a celebration of one of my favorite musicians of all time now my top five favorite musicians i don't think i've ever mentioned this before my top five favorite musicians of all time goes number one jimmy hendrix number two michael jackson number three stevie wonder and number four Curtis Mayfield. And to round out my top five, I have the one and only Marvin Gaye. But that wraps up my top five. Those are my top five favorite musicians of all time. And anytime I get a chance and opportunity to talk about one of those people, it'll be on this podcast. So actually, I have the excuse, I guess, to talk about Curtis Mayfield today. And that's what we're talking about. Celebrating Curtis Mayfield, his legacy in the music business, the life and times of Curtis Mayfield, who was born June 3rd, 1942, and passed away December 26th, 1999. Now, you heard me say June 3rd. Now, that was just a couple of days ago, if you're listening to this podcast. This podcast was released on June 6th. So if you're listening to it the first day, it was just a couple of days ago. So we're celebrating the birthday and life and times of Curtis Mayfield today. Now, if you don't know who Curtis Mayfield is, you may have heard this song. Hush not, child, and don't cry. Your folks might understand you by and by. Just move on up toward your destination. Though you may find from time to time complication. Probably his biggest hit uh, to date. And Mayfield is basically an American singer, songwriter, guitarist, record producer, and one of the most influential musicians behind soul and politically conscious African-American music. First achieved his success and recognition, I guess, in his music industry uh, with the impressions during the civil rights movement in the late 50s and 60s. And later worked as a solo artist. He went solo in 1970 and started his own label. Now, Curtis Mayfield was born in Chicago, Illinois, one of my favorite cities that I've ever visited. Um, and I love the city of Chicago. I love the music that comes from there. Soul, Chicago, soul, funk, R&B, psychedelic soul, all of that uh, was a big scene out in Chicago. And Curtis Mayfield is probably one of the legendary people to help bring that to fruition. You know, he, he helped kind of take the genre to the next level. Now, Curtis Mayfield met Jerry Butler, who was a part of the Impressions, in 1956 at the age of just 14 and joined the vocal group The Impressions. So just at the age of 14, he's already touring. As a songwriter, Mayfield became noted as one of the first musicians to bring more prevalent themes of social awareness into soul music. And in fact, in 1965, he wrote the big hit People Get Ready for The Impressions. People get ready as a train of cars. You just get on board All you need is faith To hear the dealers honing 
and that song went on to be absolutely incredible and as a matter of fact Rolling Stone has the ranking of the 500 greatest songs of all time and it ranks at number 24 and also Curtis Mayfield is one of the rare musicians that are inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame not only as a solo artist but also as a group with the impressions his music is very soulful and it just resonates even today it's just so timeless you hear artists today like uh, Kanye West who I'm gonna I'm gonna end up playing that sample that he used uh, Curtis Mayfield so it's gonna be fun and I have a couple of friends that are gonna be joining me as well um, I'm gonna have my buddy Jeff Slate who has been on this podcast before he's from Rock Seller Magazine he's gonna be joining me here he has a fantastic piece up uh also celebrating the life of Curtis Mayfield for his birthday. I know he talked to the wife of Mayfield, longtime wife, and uh, I know he talked to one of the producers as well um, with Curtis Mayfield. So going to talk to Jeff Slate from Rock Seller Magazine and also Dan Epstein is going to be joining me. He's a freelancer. I know he writes for Rolling Stone and amongst other big time music websites. Dan Epstein is going to be joining as well to help celebrate the life and times of Curtis Mayfield. So let's go ahead and get started. My buddy Jeff, he's been on this podcast before. So if you're, you're a subscriber, you have heard this voice. Voices came on for the Bob Dylan, the More Blood, More Tracks podcast I did last year. And he also just came on a little bit recent when we did the Marvin Gaye, You Are the Man album review. So we had a little fun with that. But Jeff Slater is joining me once again to talk Curtis Mayfield. Jeff, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, DC, for you and Curtis, just about anything. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so we're starting to realize uh, how similar our music tastes are. Yeah, definitely. It's like I'm thinking of an idea for a podcast, and then I'm scrolling down Twitter, and I see you writing an article and interviewing somebody, basically the same same exact story and plan for my podcast. So it's like, all right, well. So so basically your taste stops in 1973 like me. Absolutely. Anything 70s. I'm all there. So, yeah, Curtis Mayfield celebrating his birthday, which was actually June 3rd. I want to start off. So you started your article with this, and I want to start there. So whether you know it or not, you hear Curtis Mayfield's influence every day. Now, obviously, I imagine you meant that not only just for music nerds and music enthusiasts like ourselves, but you meant for the just the typical music fan as well. Absolutely. I mean, if you turn on the radio or Sirius or... Spotify playlists or whatever it is, the, the music that populates, you know, that is most prevalent now, sort of, you know, pop, R&B, or rap, that's two people use uh, for their beats. You know, his, his legend sort of looms so large over R&B, soul, even pop music, that you can't get away from the things that he did first. So you may be hearing Kendrick Lamar or Ariana Grande. They both owe a huge debt to um, to Curtis Mayfield. This is my first time that I heard Curtis Mayfield, and you can kind of revisit the first time you heard Curtis. Um, So, and another person that should be able to thank Curtis is Kanye West. Gotta testify. Come up in the spot looking extra fly. For the day I die, I'm a test. How I oh, discovered, Lord, yes. yeah. That's how I discovered Curtis. You know, Kanye has the Touch the Sky with Lupe Fiasco. And I'm like, man, this is funky. I like this. This is not <laughs> this is not what I normally hear from Kanye. And then obviously I ended up as I grew older, obviously, I ended up realizing how how much Kanye actually samples. And so I actually found out that Curtis, he sampled Curtis, Move On Up. Move on up is an amazing tune. And I and I think I think artists like Kanye Oh, a huge debt to to Curtis Mayfield, not just in the music, 
but in the way he lived his life. In other words, Curtis was, first and foremost, a great songwriter and a great musician. But he was also a great player. He had great grooves. You know, sort of the beds that he put under his music were amazing. He was hugely political. It was really important to him to be telling the story of, of sort of what he was experiencing and what the people around him were experiencing in the sort of late 60s, early 70s when he was writing his greatest music. But he was also an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I mean, he left the impressions at the height of their fame and started Kurtome Records, you know, started his own record label mm-hmm. at a time when pretty much only the Beatles had done something like that with Apple Records. So, you know, he, he was... You know, all all these guys, you know, Dre and Kanye and Snoop and all these people who have sort of gone out on their own and created their own brands and their own labels and their own, you know, merchandising campaigns, all this other stuff, Jay-Z, you know, they, they are just modeling themselves after the guy who did it first. I want to get into when he left the impressions absolutely here in a minute, but I just wanted to revisit the first time you heard Curtis. What was your first reaction? First song? What was? Let's revisit the first time you heard Curtis Mayfield. Well, I'm a little older than you. I remember Superfly, mm. and mm. Uh, I remember that soundtrack album being pretty much everywhere when it came out when I was a kid. My sister had the record. Um, and I've talked about this before on the show, but my brother-in-law was a um, jazz player, but also did gigs for work, you know, just played horns with whoever kind of, you know, would hire him. So he had a pretty crazy record collection because he just had to learn stuff all the time. So he had a lot of 45s, mm-hmm. a lot of vinyl that uh, I ended up inheriting. And so Move On Up was probably the first time I realized, you know, I saw the name on the record and put together, I'd heard Superfly by that time, mm-hmm. but I put the name Curtis Mayfield together with the sound I was hearing. And, and I think um, that really, um, you know, that, that was one of those aha moments in your life, whether it's just as a listener or as a budding musician, where you're like, I know I can't, you know, I, I feel this way with Hendrix and a lot of people. I could never do what he's doing as a musician or as a writer, but it was so inspiring and so authentic in so many ways. We use that word, we throw it around all the time now, mm. but it's, it's apt with, with Curtis Mayfield. It spoke to me on such a, a poignant and visceral level that I just went, you know, I went and got all his records. I think the first record I bought was Roots, mm. um, and Curtis, Curtis was the other one. I got both of those around the same time. Yep. This is, you know, mid-70s, so they were cutouts at the time. I think I got them both for $1.99. Oh, wow. Crazy now. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, and, you know, there, there was a lot of that was like a little too dense for my 10-year-old brain to take in. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the same token, it spoke to me in such a meaningful way. You know, I, I, am, I, I am a lifelong Curtis Mayfield fan. So it was, it was a, you know, sort of love at first sight, if you will. Yeah, he was he was someone that obviously, as I grew older, um, had to appreciate as I got older because he wasn't around, you know, when I was when I was growing up. So he was someone as I approached my, you know, mid 20s and started appreciating music a little more real music. um, You know, I ended up discovering Curtis Mayfield and he has been. 
absolutely grown easily top five favorite artist of all time in my book so i i also curtis was the first record i bought um but it was a lot more than a dollar 99 what you paid um a lot more to be quite (laughs) quite so if i if i cds were more but they had bonus tracks that's right (laughs) that's right so so this is the hardest question that someone asked and someone asked me earlier today because they i told them that i was doing a podcast today celebrating curtis mayfield and they're like all right so i give you these two albums and you got to choose one I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, I know where this is going. So they go Superfly or Curtis. So I'm going to throw it yeah. back at you. Um, I would choose Curtis, and I'll tell you why. Ooh. Superfly. so embedded in my DNA because it was one of those records that over the last, you know, 40, 45 years, Mm -hmm. I've gone back to so many times. And I also grew up with it. You know, when I was a kid, you know, when you're a kid, you only have like 10 albums. (laughs) So, So it was one of those that I played beginning to end so many times if i were on a desert island and had no music, it's in my head anyway. (laughs) Whereas, whereas with Curtis, Still now, you know, I've had that record, but it, it, it didn't have all the hits that, that um, Superfly had. It wasn't so omnipresent as Superfly was. Um, I still discover new things in that record. So I, I, and I think that's one of the things I was trying to write about. You know, whatever kind of fan you are, whether you're just discovering Curtis Mayfield or you've been a lifelong fan with him from, you know, even the... 50s, 60s impressions, you know, whatever. It, when you put on his records, you, you still discover new things, and you still find that, especially the messages he was speaking in 1971, 2, 3, are, are just as important and just as significant today. So I think I, I would choose Curtis because, um, you know, the music is so great, the playing is so great. It was sort of him at the peak of his powers and being unleashed from the impressions. He was able to do exactly what he wanted with no compromise. Um, and, and, and because, you know, it's like the white album. Every time you hear it, it's like hearing it, you know, for the first time, because there's so much, it's so dense. Those grooves are just so dense. So that, that would be my choice. So we actually agreed on that one as well. So the person that asked me that picked Superfly, and I'm like, all right, well, it's not like I can, you know, are like completely can't argue. argue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Can't, really, can't really argue that. But I mean, it was kind of the same reasoning. Um, it w- and we definitely agree on the part where every time you listen to it, you hear something you didn't before. Every single time, it doesn't. It might not. It, it might not be from Move On Up. But I, I tell you what, the rest of that album, I've listened to it. Let me. I can't even tell you how many times right now. Um, but if you go through that album, obviously you hear Other Side of the Town, The Makings of You, uh, We the People Who Are Darker Than Blue. I mean, there's so much stuff and messages instilled within those that you didn't hear before or may not have caught before. So I think with that with that case, I definitely had to lean Curtis as well. So I, want, I wanted to go into a little bit of why he left the impressions, when and wh- why he left the impressions. So as you mentioned earlier, leaves the impressions at the height of their career. I mean, they were blowing up. 
or probably the one of the biggest bands there were there was in soul funk music and he leaves the impression starts his own label goes on his own just kind of recap how that time period and why he even decided to do that well i think you know it's hard to get inside any artist's brain mm-hmm. but Curtis was a sort of a, a one-man band in so many ways. It's not that he didn't need those guys, because he, when he started with them, you know, he was a relatively shy guy. He was certainly not a front man by any stretch of the imagination. So he, need, he needed the creative foil, but he also needed the comfort of being in a group. You know, after he'd had a couple hits, and he was also being forced to compromise in the material he was making, because I don't think there was, you know, there's never 100% agreement when you get a, 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 bunch of, a bunch of guys with political opinions or just creative opinions in a room. I think he'd reached a point where it was worth it for him uh, to take the chance and go out on his own. I, I also think a guy like that, you know, it, he's very akin to Marvin Gaye and in the same period who we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, I, I, I think those are guys... Who, who were, were not willing to compromise when they were in the studio. I think that was when, they, you know, you talk to anybody, Marvin Gaye was a, a, a shy, awkward guy in, in person. And I think Curtis was very much the same. But talk to anyone and who worked with them in the studio, and they were completely in charge and completely self-assured about what they were doing and where they wanted to go creatively. So I think, you know, when, when you've reached that point and you've had some hits and you have the luxury of, um, you know, of, of making some money and being known for what you do best, um, I, I think you're, you feel like you have nothing to lose at that point. You've already reached the mountaintop. In so many ways, you know, Marvin with his string of hits for Motown in the 60s and the duet albums and so forth, Curtis with the impressions, you know, also, I think, you know, you got to remember in a group, you're splitting the money. Mm -hmm. And I think um, (laughs) they were barely making, you know, you have to remember the way the music business works, Mm -hmm. and especially for black artists at the time. I don't think Curtis was, was felt like he was getting his due. It's not that there's greed involved there, but I think if you're writing the hits, playing the music, singing the songs, you're now known as the front guy when you were this sort of shy, reserved guy when you started just playing your Stratocaster. I think, um, I think at that point you're like, well, geez, I have, I have nothing to lose. I may as well try this on my own. I, I think you probably... He probably also had the idea that if if he totally fell on his face, he could always go back. I, I bet, I've never read that anywhere or heard that, mm-hmm. but I think probably in the back of his mind, he, he always thought, "Oh, they'll take me back if it's if, it, if I'm a total failure." But I don't think he I don't think he believed he would be a failure. He he, he seemed pretty confident at that oh. time. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to reiterate, I think Mayfield ended up joining the Impressions at what fourteen, fifteen years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I I mean obviously, I mean time, you know, sometimes time runs its course as well, you know. He's he's older, a little bit more successful, things change and it was it wasn't like they broke up like the Temptations and David Ruffin, you know. It wasn't like right. it wasn't like ugly. It wasn't acrimonious in any way. Yeah. I, you know, I, I I think there was bad feeling all around because they were old friends and they and they certainly needed Curtis more than he needed them. So there's always bad feeling when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. But I think um 
you know, he, he was, I don't think there was any question in his mind. There was like, they probably knew him well enough at that point that they weren't going to convince him otherwise. He wasn't going to stay because they goaded him into staying. He was already out the door when he told them. That, that's my understanding. Yeah, and I wanted to get to, this is, before I let you go, I wanted to promote your piece as much as possible. So you got this fantastic celebration on Rock Seller Magazine. I believe you interviewed a couple of people. Just kind of promote exactly what's in this piece and uh, what, who, what, what, what were you were able to dig up with this celebration of Curtis Mayfield. Well, I had, a, I had an old quote from Paul Weller, the, the English musician, who was hugely influenced when he was a punk rocker back in the 70s mm-hmm. um, by Curtis, which I think is a really cool, you know, the, the Jam, his band back then, were one of the few punk bands to be really influenced by first the, the British R&B bands or the bands from the swinging 60s who were heavily influenced by American black soul and R&B, like The Who and The Small Faces and some of those bands, mm-hmm. uh, The Yardbirds and The Animals. Um, so he was inspired by them in the mid-late 70s. And so just in getting into that, he went back to the source and he discovered Stax and Motown. So when, when we've been hanging out just at shows or interviews, you know, before and after we talk about his latest album or whatever it is, we have this shared kind of language of the music we love. And, and a lot of it I discovered because of him and other artists, you know, mm. that, that sort of, you know, said, oh, I got this from so-and-so, or I picked up this record, or, you know, whatever. And so he, he, he played um, Curtis and Impression songs in his punk band in the 70s. So I asked him about that, hmm. and he said, you know, if, if it weren't for Curtis, his life would have been completely different as, a, as an artist. He was hugely inspired as a, you know, white punk rocker in the 70s. He was drawing from the Impressions and Curtis, which I think is, is the mark of true genius. You know, if, if, if Curtis can reach that far and that wide, that's really special. And then I also spoke to his widow because Curtis isn't here to speak for himself. Right. And, and she was with him, you know, almost his whole life. They knew each other almost their whole lives, and, and she could really speak to um, what he was like as a person and as an artist and, and place the albums that are in the box set that's just come out in the, the early Kurtome records. Um, in kind of the context of the times and also where Curtis was creatively and what he was trying to say. I mean, it was interesting to learn, you know, he was much less self-assured at making a political statement than, say, um, you know, a Marvin Gaye. But, But yet the statements he made on those records in some ways are even, you know, more obvious and bolder. You know, I mean, he was really saying... He was really speaking to, um, you know, the the black American condition in the late 60s and early 70s in a way, especially with Vietnam raging Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, there was sort of the the, the failure of the war on poverty in so many um, respects. I think he was speaking to that in a very direct and succinct way um, that resonates today almost more than it did then. I mean, there's something both tragic and beautiful that the words he wrote in 1971 still speak to things like, you know, Ferguson and the Trump era and all the things that we're experiencing. Um, So, I mean, that's another mark 
of, in, in my mind, a true genius, that you can put on a record from 1970, 71, 72, and have it be just as powerful, if not more powerful, than it was when it was first released. Yeah, and I mentioned this earlier, and I wanted to kind of, you know, kind of summarize everything into one so he's obviously like you mentioned i mean the musical genius that he is not only i mean he's been inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame not once but twice you know once as a solo and once with the impressions i mean so what you know as the years have progressed now so he did end up passing away in 1999 so we are now 20 years removed i can't believe it's been that long already um yes so what 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 do you think overall now obviously we are we think probably higher of him than a lot of people do, at least in my opinion, because we love his music so much. We appreciate the musical genius. We're music nerds. We appreciate a little bit more. Yeah. But, but in overall, what do you think Curtis Mayfield's legacy is in the music industry? Well, in some respects, his his name and his work has been forgotten because you're right. He isn't the brand name that you say it and everybody goes, oh, yeah, I, I love that guy, too. By the same notion, I think it's what we said at the top of the podcast, where, you know, if you listen to the radio and you hear Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande or Katy Perry, on the other end of the spectrum, Kendrick Lamar and Kanye West and Snoop and Dre, and, you know, all of those people have taken a page from from Curtis Mayfield's playbook. They've sampled him. They've been inspired by him. The producers they work with have been inspired by him. I mean, he is somebody who is in everybody's record collection, whether they know it or not, or in their streaming playlists, whether they know it or not. Um, so, I, you know, part of the reason for one, the great thing about Rockseller is they let me write pretty much about whatever I, I want, and you can tell I'm very passionate about <laughs> my love for Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. So, uh, I, like you said, I'm a music nerd, so this is somebody who like you, is in my top five or ten who, who I listen to all the time when I can't figure out what to put on next. I'll just go for, you know, the tried and true and pick something from his, from his discography. But, you know, I, I think whether people know it or not, they love him, and they should explore his music, you know, direct from the source, because the impression, the music Curtis and the impressions made, and, and uh, whether it's, you know, in the group or as a solo artist, is it sounds completely modern. It sounds, you know, there are some records from that era that sound really dated or, you know, do not have the same power that they did Mm -hmm. when they were first released. They're just kind of, you know, cute memories or, or they have a nostalgic factor, whereas the music of Curtis Mayfield sounds like it could have been made today, you know, by by some groups who are maybe trying to recapture the the original source no he is the original source and and so i I encourage people to dig into these records or just find a playlist on spotify with you know the spotify has a great this is curtis mayfield and this is the impressions and it has a mixture of all his his greatest hits and some of the lesser known works same for apple music they have you know their deep cuts and the essentials and all those Mm -hmm. I, i encourage people to give it a shot just give it a spin i think they'll be surprised at, at how it speaks to them and how it moves them. And, you know, on a, on a visceral level, it speaks to the sort of politics. And on just, like you said earlier, just the funky level, it's just going to make them want to get up and move. And I think that's, that's the coolest thing about his records. If you just want to have pretty sounds, they're there. And if you want to have something that's going to make you think, well, you listen to the lyrics and that's going to be there too. 
a little bit of everything with Curtis Mayfield. And we are celebrating his birthday, which would have been June 3rd as we celebrated. He has he did pass away in 1999. But today we celebrate the legacy and life of Curtis Mayfield. Jeff Slate from Rock Seller Magazine joining us. Wouldn't be an interview if I didn't let you plug what you got coming up, Jeff. What you got coming up here? I have a big article for NBC coming up about Bob Dylan's new film and box set. There's a Marty Scorsese documentary coming out. Uh, and I have several other pieces about the, the death of iTunes for NBC. I just did an article about some great uh, headphones for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and, you know, working on some books and films and other box sets, uh, doing some liner notes, just kind of the usual thing. So, JeffSladeHQ.com, and you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Jeff Slade, and, and I encourage people to just kind of dig in because I write about all the stuff that, that you and I love, D.C., and I mm-hmm. think they'll get an education and probably find some stuff they love, whether, whether or not they know it or uh, if they've heard it before. We always feel more educated when you come on, Jeff. Always fantastic stuff. Thanks for joining us again and taking time out of your busy schedule, man. Appreciate it, and until next time, keep, keep doing your thing, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me and keep listening. So I always love when I have a first time guest joining me here on the podcast. We have a first time guest. So I'm scrolling on Twitter, um, you know, planning for my podcast this week. I know I'm going to celebrate Curtis Mayfield and I follow this fantastic guy on Twitter and I see one of his tweets that is also celebrating Curtis Mayfield. And it is none other than Dan Epstein. First time joining us here on the Music Vibes podcast. Dan, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks, DC, for having me, man. Absolutely. Uh, any any time I see someone with a similar music taste as myself, it just draws me even closer. So I know, as a, at least from your tweet, I can base this off of that. But you are a big Curtis Mayfield fan, correct? Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, he he has been a constant source of um, uplift and inspiration and joy to me. I mean, his music uh, since, uh, I guess, for about 35 years now. Uh, I first discovered him when I was in high school. And uh, and I think he's he's really one of the, as it, it well known as he is, I still don't think he gets enough credit uh, for his uh, work and his genius. And I think he's, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago, where, where he's from, and ah. I still I still feel like there should be a Curtis Mayfield statue somewhere in the city of Chicago. And I think it's a grotesque oversight that, uh, that has not uh, happened yet. I agree a hundred percent by the way that he, I, I also feel like he's a little bit, I, w- I wouldn't say like underrated cause that, that's kind of a big, I, I wouldn't say underrated, but maybe underappreciated, I guess would there be the, go. would be yeah. the word I would look at. And you live right in Chicago and that's somewhere I visit a lot And there. I haven't seen a Curtis Mayfield statue. So maybe, maybe that is something to have in the future, but let's talk about what he means to you. So I had Jeff Slade on from rock seller magazine on earlier in the podcast and I asked him and I'll ask you as well. So let's kind of revisit. We time travel a lot on this podcast because I'm not even 30 years old, but all the music I like is way before my time, unfortunately. And I'm not able to time travel and go back to those things because there's not a time traveling machine. So let's go back to when you first heard Curtis Mayfield. What was that like and what song was it? Well, it was uh, it was Freddie's Dead. And I had actually I was uh, reading a book called Mystery Train by Greil Marcus, which uh, ties together whole lot of different uh american musical threads and and uh there was a whole section in there about excuse me there was a whole section in there about the superfly soundtrack and how 
if, if I'm recalling correctly, how Curtis wrote the music um, before seeing the film, and then after seeing the film, wrote the lyrics. And just that it was, the, you know, along with What's Going On uh, by Marvin Gaye, it was kind of this watershed moment in musical history where, you know, um, soul music was, I mean, there, there had been a movement, uh, a socially conscious movement in soul music before that, and some of it spearheaded by Curtis's work with the Impressions. But this really kind of laid it out there and what was going on in the inner cities, what was going on with drug addiction, mm-hmm. uh, what was going on with poverty. And, uh, you know, and, and this was, mass, you know, Freddie's Dead was a massive hit, as mm-hmm. was the Superfly LP. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was reading about this probably about 10 years after the record came out, but I had never heard it. And, you know, I thought living, having grown up in Chicago, it was kind of weird that, like, you know, I wouldn't hear this music. So I went and uh, bought a copy of uh, the Superfly soundtrack, and the first... Um, first song I put on was Freddie's Dead because I liked the way Grill Marcus had written about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, it was just kind of all in from there. And, you know, in the 80s, it was really hard to find a lot of Curtis's records. Uh, they were out of print. He was you know, definitely, he was still making records, but he, he, he had definitely passed his commercial heyday. So I spent a lot of time in the 80s and early 90s uh, just digging around record stores, looking for these uh, records. And, you know, I, I mean, I still vividly remember the day I found his Sweet Exorcist LP in, mm-hmm. in a bin at uh, some record store down on 44th Street. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, this is a record I'd never even heard of. And it was so it was just, like, so exciting to, to, to and it was like buried treasure and then taking it home and turned out to be an amazing album. And, you know, and then I was, I mean, I... I grew up reading a lot of Rolling Stone, Cream Magazine, Trouser Press. It was very influenced by Mm -hmm. the rock press and, you know, rock journalists' take on music. And I was always kind of taken aback by, you know, with the exception of what Grill Marcus had written about uh, the Superfly soundtrack, I was always kind of taken aback by how underappreciated Curtis's music was by the white rock critics of the time, you know, like, Robert Kriska, I'd go back and read that Robert Kriska had given the There's No Place Like America Today album, which is a fantastic record. He'd given it a D plus, and it was just like this disconnect where like these guys just, I felt, just did not understand what he was doing, what he was trying to do, and were not picking up on the message he was putting across, which I always felt and still feel is this very humanist message, very, you know, like... Um, you know that we are all in this together, and we have to pull together with our with our neighbors and and uh, and people you know who we may not think we have things in common with to make this world a better place. Yeah, and since you're from Chicago, I mean, we can have a little bit of a different discussion than I have with Jeff. So, because you're right at home, um, so. Let's let's kind of look at the beginning, you know, when things got started. So, like, because I'm sure as a rock critic yourself and writer, I believe you're a freelancer and write for different amongst the different websites, including Rolling Stone. Um, so let's go back. So everything started. He was in a gospel choir, correct? That's how everything got started for him. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and you know, he he was 
think he got his first guitar when he was like 15, I want to say. It may have been earlier than that, but mm-hmm. he started writing his own songs around that time, and uh, he was living in the projects at Cabrini Green, mm-hmm. and, um, and he was rehearsing with the group that, you know, became the impressions at... Um, at uh, one of the, the local field houses near there, and uh, you know, I feel like like that's where the statue should go—the one that we're talking about. It's like this is where it all started, mm-hmm. and from there, and from there, he, you know, um, I think the, the, their first real hit was um, was uh, Jerry Butler's uh, "He Will Break Your Heart," which mm-hmm. Curtis wrote, and uh, and then he toured with. Jerry for a while. I mean, I guess Jerry was part of the impressions right. at that point, but right. went out as a solo act, and Curtis Curtis played guitar for him on the road, uh, wrote songs for him, but then he was also writing songs and producing for all these other Chicago acts at the time. Major Lance was a, was a big one, Gene Chandler. Um, you, you go back, I mean, 60s, 60s Chicago soul is nothing without Curtis's input. I mean, th- okay, that's an exaggeration, but he, he did. He he made such a huge impact, not only with the Impressions records, but all the production work, all the songwriting work. Um, you know, just I mean, he was like a one-man music industry, and he he, um, I believe, on the advice of Sam Cooke, um, got hip to the idea of. Owning your own publishing, mm-hmm. which was incredibly rare for any artist uh, in, in in that point to, to even have that kind of savvy, and um, and then he you know started his own label, he his, his own production company. I mean, this was all huge stuff for a black artist in the in the sixties. Yeah, and i i seen I seen this in Rolling Stone too prior to this interview, and. So Rolling Stone ranked the 500 greatest songs of all time. And this one was actually number 24. And that is People Get Ready by the Impressions, 1965, which obviously Curtis Mayfield wrote. What does that song mean to you? Well, and and this goes back to his gospel roots, clearly. Like this is, you know, this is in one sense a, you know, it's it's both sort of a a song of prayer, a song of, you know, better days are coming, a song of deliverance. But I, you know, it all, there's a sense too, to me, that, that it's, it's not just like kick back, you know, mm-hmm. keep praying and, and, you know, God will, will provide your deliverance. It's, it's, that there's also an element of you have to be part of this. You have mm-hmm. to get, you know, you have to get on board. And, um, and, and that's very inspiring to me as well. Just that, that, this is, you know, a, a sense of agency, a sense of, you know, we we can do this. We and and that's echoed throughout so many of the impression songs, whether it's, you know, keep on pushing or we're a winner. Yeah. Um, that the sense that like, you know, it's there for you, but you have to go out and take it. But you can if if you know if you're uh, you know willing to put your uh, uh, put your back into it. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I want I wanted to ask you this as well. So we just actually got done uh, seeing for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We've seen Stevie Nicks become one of these examples of someone that has been inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on two occasions one in the, one in a band group and one solo. So Curtis Mayfield is another one of those. Do you think that is something that also sets him aside as one of the greatest? Being you know having that honor. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know. I'll be honest with you. I think I think the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is is a, a crock of uh, oh, yeah. crap. I, I really, I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> nothing that they do really impresses me or validates you know the artists that I love uh, any further. However, I will say that you know you could look just at Curtis's work with the impressions. And or just as his work as a solo artist or third option, just his work as a songwriter and producer. Mm. And you have three incredible careers that like anyone, you know, just about any artist, you know, would, you know, would give their right arm to have one of those. But you've got this guy who has all three of them. And and you look into any of those areas and you will find incredible life affirming music and you know it it just blows me away how much he accomplished yeah absolutely and he's someone you know throughout his career he pretty much addressed you know all the problems surrounding inner city minorities you know like crime poverty drug drug abuse and things like that but you know just kind of looking back through through the catalog you know obviously everyone everyone that's listening to this podcast or that's even aware of curtis mayfield probably knows superfly the soundtrack they probably sure. know self-titled curtis but other than that so i picked I picked this as my, I guess, underrated, I guess, of Curtis Mayfield's albums. I picked this as my underrated. And I picked Honesty from 1983 as my underrated. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was my underrated one. I know that's not one a lot of people talk about, but I'll I'll ask you as well. You know, so other than those main albums that everyone's probably heard, what is an album that you may you think somebody listening to this may should should give a spin today in uh, remembrance of Curtis Mayfield? Uh, oh, I think well, the the one I spun on his birthday uh, the other day was Roots oh. uh, from 1971. It's it's you know I, I like I listened to it and it's you know it, it could be a greatest hits album in itself, mm-hmm. but I think because it came out, it sort of was sandwiched between the you know first self titled solo album and Superfly. It's kind of gotten lost in people's memories, but it has you know has get down has keep on keeping on has beautiful brother of mine mm-hmm. we uh we got to have peace which is probably that that might be my uh my all-time uh, favorite Curtis song ah. it's it's just such a such a fantastic record and and i mean the band he's got on it is is absolutely killer um you know arrangements by Johnny Pate and Riley Hampton um uh Background vocals by Leroy Hudson, who yep. you know, who would kind of take over uh, the vocal uh, spot in the impressions after you left, and you know, it's it's just such a beautiful, interesting, uplifting record. And uh, you know, it's like if you like funk, it's got funk. If you like fuzz guitar, it's got fuzz guitar all over it. If you like, you know, uh, uh, socially conscious messaging, it's it's. It, you know, it's got that by the shovel full. It's it's really uh, it, it's a fantastic record, and I think you know if you're a Curtis fan and you don't know it, you owe it to yourself to pick it up. 
Yeah, I, I at least know of it and definitely have heard it. But it, it, I admittedly, it has been a while since I gave that a spin. So I'll, I'll have to do that. You gave me some some nice homework, a nice homework assignment uh, for over this weekend. So uh, so obviously, obviously, so you're in Chicago, so I'm sure he resonates in your heart, you know, pretty big. So to kind of wrap up and kind of summarize, you know, looking at his legacy. Now, I have him ranked in my all time top five alongside Jimi Hendrix. I put him with Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson and Curtis. Mayfield is right up there in my top five. So in terms of legacy, where do you have Curtis Mayfield as one of the greatest songwriters, musicians, however you want to categorize him? Where do you rank him all time? Well, he's definitely in my top five. And, and I think, you know, he's he's right up, you know, for me, he's right up there with, um, you know, I, I think his, his influence, and that's something we haven't really uh, talked about um, in this conversation. Um I think his influence as a guitar player is uh, is very undersung. I think Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. uh, picked up a lot from Curtis, um, as did Bob Marley. You listen, and really all all the Jamaican players of the of you know '60s ska and rock steady. It's like you listen to those records; mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're basically impressions records. Um, you know, <laughs> with you know. Some some not as good, but I mean, like mm-hmm. they're clearly uh, picked up, you know, pick up from that template. And I think so much of Bob Marley's social consciousness, obviously, he brought his own experiences to the table. But I think, you know, listening to those impressions records really kind of, uh, you know, set, you know, refocused his mind on 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 that mission, as opposed to you know just writing good time love songs like so much of. Uh, of uh, that '60s ska was was about. I mean, um, you know, and and as a songwriter, I feel like he's he's up there with Bob Dylan. He's up there with Marvin Gaye. He's up there with, um, um, you know, with Marley. I, I feel like mm-hmm. um, that there are so many of his songs that you know some are acknowledged classics. Some should be acknowledged as classics. But I, I think it's an you know he 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 left us with an incredibly deep well. Of work, and uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned the honesty record. Now, that's one that I haven't listened to in ages. And and uh, after I hang up uh, with you, I'm gonna go back and spend that. It's like it's it's the gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely, yeah. I gave I gave that a spin a little bit before the interview, and that and you talked about the influence. That is something I did talk a little bit with Jeff, and I even brought up because I'm a little bit younger, so my generation would know this as an example. So Kanye West sampled "Move On Up." Uh, for his big right. hit, Touch the Sky, with Lupe Fiasco. So that's kind of how I tied the younger generation into this. And obviously, Curtis Mayfield's been sampled so much. I mean, you can, not even just samples, but movies. You know, obviously, if you've seen Superfly, you know that. But even the movie Friday with uh, Chris Tucker and Ice Cube uh, has a uh, little child running wild in it. Everywhere right. you go, everywhere you go, there's Curtis Mayfield. As it should be. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and celebrating uh, Curtis Mayfield. His birthday was just a few days ago. So I appreciate both you and Jeff uh, for taking some time and help helping me celebrate a legend here on this podcast. Appreciate you joining. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on, D.C.
Be sure to keep up with the Music Vibes podcast with DC Hendricks presented by Neat 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 Records by subscribing on everywhere podcasts are available. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Radio Public, everywhere podcasts are available. Make us one of your favorites by subscribing and make sure to leave us a review and let me know what you guys are thinking of the Music Vibes podcast. That'll do it for this week. And until next week, everybody, be sure to spread some peace and love. Well, there's only one kind So hush not, child And don't cry Podcasts by Federated Media Podcasts by Federated Media